All right, if you'll take God's precious word. Turn to the book of Proverbs, please. Chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. God willing, we'll be expounding verses 7 through 9 tonight. The title of the message is Pearls and Stones. Pearls and Stones. Tonight, or today, we had a lady come through the courthouse and she had a big necklace with these big balls of gold here on. And she asked the gentleman as she was coming toward the metal detector. And she said, do I need to take these off? He said, well, are they metal? She said, they're gold. He said, well, you better take them off then. I thought, my goodness, as big as those are. That's a lot of money right there. He ran them through the x-ray machine, and I thought, I just got a feel of that. I picked them up, and they were plastic. And the thing behind, the, the woman behind her, after she, I didn't say anything about them being plastic, but I knew they were, and of course the person working the x-ray knew they were. But She put them on, and she walked down the hall, and the lady behind her commented to us, and she said, I can't afford real jewelry. And we never said anything to her either. But she thought they were real. And the woman pretended like they were real. She knew they couldn't have been gold. Not that light, cheap plastic. Pearls and stones, you know. There's a big difference between the two. We'll be looking at the difference tonight. We finished up in verse 6 last week talking about wisdom's house. And those particular verses were very rich and edifying to me. I enjoyed that study so much. I'm thankful for the truths God gave us. And now as we move on to our next verses tonight, Solomon begins a new subject, which is both very insightful and very instructive for us. In verse 7, Solomon says, He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. So the Hebrew word translated scorn here, or scorner here, it's very interesting. It has the idea of the effort that's given when you try to pronounce a foreign language. You ever had someone, you say, well, how do you say good morning in... German or good morning or thank you very much in Swahili or someone you're talking to that you you see from another country and they tell you and that you think it's going to be something kind of simple and it ends up having a bunch of syllables in it. It doesn't sound anything like what you're used to saying. And so you try to repeat the words back and 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 they're trying to correct you and you're trying to repeat them back. That's where this word scorn or scorner comes from. The effort in trying to speak a foreign language. Kind of interesting, isn't it? And because it's taken from the effort of trying to speak a foreign language, it's often translated as interpreter in the Old Testament. And so you have to think, well, what what kind of word is this that can mean 
both interpreting and scorning. How is that? Well, we can definitely understand the interpreting since it means the effort of trying to speak in a foreign language, but think of it when someone tries to speak that foreign language. Have you all ever done that before? And you, or, or you've heard someone try to say something in another language before and, it, and they, they're not pronouncing it right? It sounds pretty silly. And they look pretty silly. And if you think of it like that, I believe the visual that Solomon is trying to give us tonight is that of a person stupidly mocking a speaker of the truth. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about now when I do this. Let's say that uh, uh, Brother Jess over here were to say something and try to correct me. And let's say that I'm having nothing of Brother Jess and his correction and his holier-than-thou stuff. And so I mock him. And I go, meh, meh, meh. Right? Isn't that what, we, isn't that what people do? I believe that's exactly what is, the visual is here. That someone, you have someone out speaking the truth. They're intelligent. They're articulate. They're telling the Word of God like it is. And instead of someone giving them the consideration of the argument. You know how people do when they're, especially if they're politicians, and someone's making a great argument against them? And a lot of times they'll just, instead of trying to rebut their argument because they can't, they just go, <laughs> I saw Joe Biden do that the other day. Someone asked him something, and no, it wasn't Joe Biden, excuse me. It was uh, the uh, Republican that had the, the like the little mini strokes. Turtle? Huh? No, not Fetterman's not Republican. But he, he's the, he's, huh? He's Mitch McConnell. Yeah, he's the one that's been freezing up with his brain freezing up. And someone said, sir, you know, the doctors have told us what you don't have. They haven't told us what you do have. Do you know what's wrong with you, sir? And he just goes, <laughs> And next, and he went to another question. Well, he was mocking that man. By doing that, he was trying to let the whole world know that was such a stupid question. Such an uneducated question. It's not even worth my time. I just laugh at it. And if Brother Jess were to correct me, and I'm going to really belittle him, I'll go, bleh, 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 something like that. And, and just mock him. Just scorn him. Ooh, you know, you think you're something, you know. Uh, you Christians are really whatever, you know. And I just mock him. And so that's the idea of a scorner here. A scorner, someone trying to argue with a scorner is like trying to, to argue with one of those politicians who's going to laugh at you and they just turn to the next reporter who's going to be more friendly to them. You're not going to get truth with them. They're not interested in truth Scorners don't sit idly by and pay no attention to Christians. A lot of times when we see people doing things that we disagree with, we may think in our minds, oh boy, you know. 
You see someone, they're uh, used to, it was really bad. I, it seems like it's gotten a little better. Used to, people would go around with their britches down around their, their rear ends. And I'm glad that seems to be going a little bit out of style. And, uh, uh, but it was really bad. And you, you would see things like that. You don't necessarily go over there and say, hey, pull your pants up. Or, hey, this or that, you know. But, um, but scorners aren't like that. They don't mind their own business. Scorners jump at the chance to mock a Christian. They jump at the chance to mock someone who's confronting them with the truth so they can belittle them and try to make them look ignorant. And Solomon says, he who reproves a person like this gets to himself shame. And to reprove someone means to correct them. To see them walking in disobedience to God's Word and to tell them, hey, you're wrong. This is wrong what you're doing here. If you correct a scorner, the scorner is not going to admire you. Even if you use the most brilliant arguments with the scorner, uh, if you use logic and science so that you thoroughly prove the scorner wrong, he will not politely debate you. He will not acknowledge the truth you spoke. He will not say, well, that's a good point there, but we'll just politely uh, agree to disagree. Scorner is not going to do that. Instead, the more truth you tell that scorner, the more he'll despise you. You see, a scorner despises truth. They hate it. If a person accepts truth, then he's not going to scorn the truth. So if you're talking to someone and they're scorning you when you're telling them the truth, it doesn't mean they misunderstand. It means they despise the truth you're telling them. A scorner hates truth. So if you correct his false ways with the truth, then the scorner will hate you. You see? They hate truth. So if you confront them with truth, that scorner is going to hate you. The Hebrew word translated shame here in this verse because if you uh, reprove a scorner, you rebuke a scorner, you're going to get shame. And the Hebrew word translated shame in this verse comes from a root word that means light meaning having very insignificant weight, just like the the person that asked, the reporter that asked the question, and the politician going, ha, 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 ha. You see, what happened to that that reporter then? They got to themselves shame. And they said, hey, you said this. You, You said what's not wrong with you. You haven't told the American people what is wrong with you. They just got confronted with a truth bomb. And instead of confronting truth and saying, well, yeah, I'm really not fit for service. Yes, I've got this terrible disease or whatever. Instead of, conf- being conf- instead of acknowledging these things and confronting the truth, that reporter gets to himself belittlement, lightment, considered it's something so insignificant it's not even worth paying attention to. That's what you will get if you reprove a scorner. If you correct a scorner, that scorner is going to think very little of you. If you correct a scorner, Solomon says, uh, look back in your text, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Now, a scorner is a wicked man. And so he's saying the same thing two different ways, kind of like repentance and faith. 
So you, you, you rebuke a scorner, you're going to get shame. And if you, if you correct a scorner, if you rebuke a wicked man, you're going to get yourself a blot. Now the word blot here means a blemish. And in the book of Leviticus, this should ring a bell to you, in Leviticus chapter 22, verse 20, when they offered a sacrifice in the Old Testament, what could that sacrifice not have? It could not have a blemish. If it had a blemish, it was not acceptable, right? God could not accept it. Leviticus 22.20 says, But whatsoever hath a blemish, that's the same Hebrew word translated blot here in the book of Proverbs, whatever hath a blot, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. So if you rebuke a wicked man, then you get yourself a blemish. In other words, you're not acceptable to that person. That person rejects you. That person can't have any uh, dealings with you. You're not acceptable to that person anymore. Like the sacrifice in Leviticus 20.20, you literally become unacceptable in that wicked person's eyes. You see, when God sees a blot, He says, ooh, I can't have that. Unacceptable. When a wicked person sees righteousness, to that wicked person, that righteousness is a blot. To God, sin is a blot. To a wicked person, righteousness is a blot. And they go, ooh, don't want any part of that. That's how they think. So if you rebuke a wicked man, you're going to get yourself a blemish. You're going to be unacceptable. You don't become unacceptable to God. You become unacceptable to the wicked person. A wicked person hates righteousness. To a wicked person, what is bad is good. What is good is bad. To rebuke a wicked man means to, to point out to him what is right. It literally means to be right. So, if a, if a wicked man is not doing right, and you say, well, now here's the way this should be done. Here's the right way. Here's what God's Word says. Well, you go pointing something out about his life that's wrong, and you show him the right way, the God-ordained way to live and to be, then that wicked person is going to consider you to be unacceptable. So if a wicked person enjoys being a sexual pervert, and you tell that wicked person that God made one man for one woman, till death do they part, if you tell that wicked person that uh, so-called uh, uh, gender transgendering and, or, or, or uh, uh, a cross-dresser or, uh, uh, or, or something like that, that can't be a real woman or a real man because they're not biologically a real woman or a w real man, if you tell them something like that, He's not going to look up to you as a God-fearing person. He's going to think of you as wicked in his eyes, as blemished in his blinded, wicked eyes. We have to understand that tonight. Because right now our nation is wicked. Our nation is... They're, they're full of scorners. 
They hate Christianity. They, they hate being confronted with truth. And we have to understand where the passion is for them. When we look at these people, we see them doing violence. We see them being very proactive. We see them being very passionate about what they're pushing. And we have to understand that when they look at us, they hate us. They do. They hate us. Wicked people see righteousness as bad, thus they see righteous people as blemished. If you rebuke a wicked man, then get ready. Because your rebuke will be viewed as a blot on you by all who approve of the wickedness that man performs. You'll get yourself marked. Do you want to know why liberals want so-called hate speech laws? Canada, they have hate speech laws. Thank God we don't hear yet, although in a way they're trying to enforce them in places like universities and sororities and things like that. To them, Christians are a blemish on society and they want to shut them down. This is important for us to understand. You see, there, there are some people you just can't help. He says, don't, don't rebuke them. Don't rebuke them. If you do, this is what's going to happen. There's some people you cannot help. In fact, the more you try to help them, the worse they're going to hate you for it. So don't fool yourself into thinking. And, and, and a lot of Christians, a lot of Bible teachers, they've adopted this unbiblical way of thinking. They, they, they've adopted this thinking, well, if only I would have worded it more nicely, maybe they would have listened to me. No. Not a scorner. If only I would have used a better argument, maybe they would have believed me. Perhaps I'll get a book from somebody and let them read the expert. They're not interested in what the expert has to say. It doesn't matter how good your argument is framed. They don't want the truth. If only I would have been more bold or, or more kind, maybe they wouldn't be so angry at me and they wouldn't hate me. Maybe my loved one wouldn't hate me so much. Yes, they would. Here's a kingdom truth for you tonight. No amount of kindness or persuasion can make someone like the truth. No amount of kindness or persuasion can make someone like the truth. A lot of people have the idea that if you just show people the love of Jesus, I hear that all the time and it makes me sick. Just show people the love of Jesus and they will accept your Christian witness and they'll turn their lives around and be saved. And that's not true. Not true at all. No amount of love can make wicked people like you and accept your message. So, Brother Richard, I disagree with that. Hang on. I'm about to prove you wrong. No amount of love can make wicked people like you and accept your message. Here's a kingdom truth for you tonight. If the lack of love was the cause of rebellion and unbelief, then that would make an all-loving God responsible for the rebellion of Satan, Adam and Eve, and everybody else after them. No amount of love can make people like you and accept the truth. Who loved the world more than Jesus Christ? Nobody. 
Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Nobody could have loved the world more than Jesus. And they still hated him. They still rejected his message. They still killed him. Why? Because to hit to them, he was a blot. They hated him for the truth he told. They didn't like light. They'd rather have darkness. If people don't love the truth, they won't love the truth teller. So don't go around feeling guilty because, well, I, I tried to speak to my son or my daughter. I tried to speak to my aunt or my mother or one of my loved ones. And, and now they won't even talk to me because I tried to tell them about Jesus and now they shun me. And you go around feeling guilt and wring your hands thinking, oh, what could I have done wrong? What? No, it's not you. It's not you. If you rebuke a scorner, you get a blot. So we're told, look now in verse 8, reprove not a scorner. Reprove not a scorner. And, and don't get Solomon wrong here. Solomon's not telling us to not speak against sin. I mean, God sent the prophets to rebuke sinners that God knew would never accept the truth, right? Of those prophets. He sent prophets knowing that uh, they would kill the prophets and they would not repent. So we're not talking about that. We're not being told to not take a stand against sin. We're being told to not reprove a scorner. In fact, it, it, notice it doesn't say don't reprove scorners, plural. It says don't reprove a scorner, singular. We're looking at individual rebuke, not national rebuke. There's a time to stand up and tell the world, this is wrong. You've got to. You've got to be light in the world. You have to be a city set on a hill so your, your light won't be hid. But we have to understand that the purpose of reproof or reproving someone is to point out someone's wrong so they can in the end think and do right. It's not to point something out to them to try to make them angry or try to make yourself look better. A lot of people... And, and, and I, I hear preachers do this a lot. I hear Christians do this a lot. They'll try to point out sin, kind of hoping to get someone angry so they can tell them off and then walk around thinking, I've done God a favor here. That's not, Jesus didn't do that. That's not what we're here to do. The, the whole purpose is try to change someone's thinking so they can think and do right. But the problem is a scorner doesn't want to do right. A scorner hates what is right. So don't reprove a scorner, look back in your text, lest he hate thee. He hates what's right, so don't go off reproving a scorner, because all he's going to do is hate you too now, when you tell him what's right. And I believe there's two main things that we should deduct from this. And the first is this, if a person is incorrigible, and they won't listen to reason, then don't cast your pearls before swine. Now what the Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. They'll trample over your pearls and they'll come back and trample over you. Don't take something so precious that you know someone's not interested in. You know they despise truth. Don't go take God's precious word and invest your time in those people when you know the response is going to be, what, what does a pig think about pearls? Nothing. They're going to run over those pearls just like mud. They, don't, they have no 
admiration for pearls whatsoever. They cannot, they cannot see the value of the pearls. The pearls have zero value to them. So if you take your pearls and you cast it before the swine, you're, go, you're going to have to expect them to trample over the pearls and then be mad at you for putting bad pearls in their good mud. And now they're going to trample over you. That's what you do with a scorner. You're putting your pearls before the swine. The Bible says... In Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. The Bible didn't say mark them and try to develop meaningful relationships that may build bridges with them. I hear Christians talk that way all the time. It's just like mamsy-pamsy stuff. It says avoid them. And so if a person rejects the truth, then it's better to avoid conflict than to cause it. You see? If a person rejects the truth, it's better to avoid conflict than to cause it. And I believe the Lord just gave me a wonderful example. When I was a kid, me and a friend of mine, it was winter, and we were at a pond, the pond was frozen over. And I don't know about you, but did any of y'all like ice skating when you grew up? Nobody? That's because y'all are from the South. You did? You did? All right. You fell too much. Well, you should have been with us at the pond. We would have helped you. So we're out playing on this frozen pond. And it's so fun when you're a kid and you're flexible and you can fall down and it doesn't hurt you. It's so fun to... to get out there and slide across that ice and have fun like that. And we were having a good time out there on that ice. And then my friend saw a cat coming our way. And my friend thought it would be a good idea to pick that cat up and let the cat enjoy ice skating. After all, we were enjoying it. Now, my friend knew that cat was not going to enjoy that ice. But he took that cat and gave that cat a good dose of ice skating on that pond. And he went across that ice, and all you could see was claws and cat and spinning around like that. And you could see claw marks going in circles down across that ice. He knew the cat was going to react bad. He knew it was against that cat's nature. And so, does it make any sense saying, ice skating is very enjoyable, therefore, I think I need to teach this cat how to ice skate? No. And so you can say Christianity is true, Christianity is good. If this person would quit acting this way and quit living this way and start doing what God's Word says, that's going to be really good for them. They're going to enjoy that. And you know that they're a scorner, that they're incorrigible. You know they hate the truth. Then if you go and you confront them, and you waste your time trying to point out they're wrong, you're doing no different than what my friend did chunking that cat across the pond. 
you're, it's better to avoid the conflict than to cause the conflict even though you have a good reason for causing it. There's really not a good reason to cause the conflict. And so, you know, uh, you pick your battles, you pick your arguments, and I believe that's what he's saying here. If a person gets angry when you tell them the truth, their problem is with the truth, it's not with you. That's the other thing that I want you to see tonight. If you talk to a person about the, the truth and you try to correct their ways and it doesn't matter how sweet and kind you say it and they get angry at you, their problem is not with you, it's with the truth. Don't go around feeling guilty about that. Don't go around harboring guilt. And a lot of Christians do. They harbor guilt because the person who hates the truth will try to make that person feel guilty for offending them. Because that's the only power they have. I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. But I don't want to be told I'm wrong. So I'm going to make that person feel wrong for telling me I'm wrong. And they try to use that to manipulate that person that loves them and told them the truth. It's not you. It's them. So let your conscience have a break on that. Solomon said, look back in your text, rebuke a wise man. Now, there's someone you should rebuke. There's someone you shouldn't rebuke. Rebuke a wise man. A wise, a wise man is someone you want to rebuke. If someone's wise, then all means, by all means, rebuke that person. If you can't lovingly correct that person, then that person is a foolish person. If you, correct, if you lovingly correct someone, they accept your correction, they're a wise person. If they don't, they're foolish. And if you can't be lovingly corrected, then you're a foolish person. Don't be that person that someone can't come up to and say, Hey, brother, hey, sister, or hey, sweetheart, or whatever. I love you. Could, could I just share this with you right here? And just think on it. Just think on it. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But would you think on this? You're doing this, and this is wrong. And God's Word says this, and you're not right with God on this. If they're a wise person, they'll accept your rebuke because they want to know truth. We rebuke wise people. Now, a wise person isn't always right. Or else you wouldn't have to rebuke a wise person, right? Wise people aren't always right. Wise people are people who always want to be right. I'm, I don't always do right, but I always want to do right. You see? And that's the difference. A wise man isn't always right, but he always wants to be right. So the difference between a wise man and a scorner is not their conduct. It's their attitudes. Everybody's going to do wrong. But it's the attitude is uh, of, it's not my will to do wrong. I want to do right. A wise man loves the idea of pleasing God. So rebuke a wise man. Look back into your text, the end of verse 8. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. If you love the idea of pleasing God, then if someone tells you something in your life that is displeasing to God, then you'll love that person for telling you. That's what the Bible's saying. So if a person doesn't love you for telling them the truth, then they don't love the idea of pleasing God. Solomon said, verse 9, Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. How about that? So here's another person we invest our time in. Uh, you give instruction to a wise man, a very wise man, and what happens? He gets even wiser. 
Every person needs to walk in a state of humility. We all need to be uh, uh, both ready and, uh, and uh, uh, to, to be corrected and ready to correct, no matter how wise or how uh, experienced we are as Christians. Underscore in your word, be yet wiser. Underscore in, in verse 9, be yet wiser. I love that phrase. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much experience you have, how much knowledge you have, or what status you hold in the church, no matter how wise you are, you can be yet wiser. Never quit learning. Never think you know it all. Always be instructable. Never get into the position of being unteachable. Solomon said, look back in your text, teach a just man. A just man means someone who uh, follows God's word. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. And I love this. When should you stop learning? Never. Never. So pay a close attention here. I believe this is the main point of what Solomon is saying. There are people we are not supposed to rebuke and teach. And there are people we are supposed to rebuke and teach. We are told to teach a just man, he will increase in learning. And I believe the Bible is telling us that these are the people that we should be investing our time in. These are the people we should be investing our resources in. The principles that we're learning here in Proverbs tonight should determine who churches, pastors, teachers, and evangelists should be investing their lives in. I tell you what, I would rather pour my time into a small church that's hungry to learn God's Word than pour my time and life into a mega church that has no heart for it. You know? I would rather go overseas and spend years of my life teaching the Word of God to people who crave it than to people who despise it. I'm not interested in that. I've, I've heard missionaries talk about going overseas for years and years and years and never have a convert. They stay in the same place and no one's interested. You know what that person needs to do? They need to get out of town. They need to go somewhere where they are interested. If you rebuke wise people, they're going to be yet wiser. So I'd rather send my money to an area where the people are receiving the gospel instead of where they're not receiving the gospel. In the book of Acts, the apostles didn't waste their time laboring in places where God's word was rejected. They invested their time where it was eagerly received. You send doctors to people who are sick. You send food to people who are hungry. And you send truth to people who are wise enough to love you for giving it to them. Don't cast your pearls to people who are casting stones. And with that, we'll go ahead and close tonight. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word.
Father, it's difficult for us when we read passages like this because we're to go into, world, uh, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Yet at the same time, if they're picking up stones to stone us for telling them the gospel, we don't stick around. If they reject the Genesis of Jesus, we don't stick around to teach them the building on Jesus. Even as you do, Father, with the heathen, you give them the light of nature. Many people are given the light of nature in which your word says the Creator is evidently seen. And they reject the light of the Creator. So you never send them the light of the Redeemer. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll give us wisdom as your, your hands and your mouth and your feet to be wise, Lord, to always be willing to speak the truth, to stand for the truth, but also to be wise enough to not invest our time by casting pearls before people who are casting stones at us. And I ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.